Kingdom Business Summit 2023 is here. And this is our biggest and best lineup of speakers we've ever had. This event is two and a half days of high level practical business training. The event is jam packed with the tools you need to scale up your business and deepen your walk with the Lord. Over the two and a half days, I will be bringing some business training as well as a hand-picked group of high-caliber speakers. There's a formal dinner where you can let your hair down and have fun with live entertainment. We will have a worship service where we get together, lift our arms, and praise Jesus. We will have a faith-filled prayer meeting, a networking space to meet like-minded entrepreneurs, an exhibitor showcase area, and we will finish with a time of prophetic ministry where you can get a word directly from the Lord. So if you're looking to scale up your business and at the same time learn how to deepen your walk with the Lord, then I invite you to join me for two and a half days of practical business training at Kingdom Business Summit 2023. Well, hey guys, and welcome back to the podcast. You know, today we're joined by a big thinking visionary, an entrepreneur, um, and although he doesn't run a business in the same way that we do, we're going to unpack that, his organization is incredibly entrepreneurial. He's got big headaches to deal with like we do, um, and he's definitely one of us in terms of kingdoms. So, uh, Andy, it's so good to have you on the podcast. Why don't you tell our listeners who is Andy Goulet? Yeah, firstly, thanks for having us. Great to be here. Um, well, mate, I'm an accountant by background. I did a Bachelor of Business Account CQT, worked seven years accounting. And I'm also a pastor at a church. I do community outreach work and also a downhill skateboarder, mate. I've been downhill skateboarding 38 years. I really figured out how to stop yet, but anyway. And also the chaplain for the Queensland Reds Rugby Union. So I'm a bit of a skateboarding pastoral accountant, mate, like a bit of multi-personality. So uh, I've seen photos of you uh, many years ago, long hair, skateboard, like converse kicks. How do you put that together with being an accountant? Like that's that, that you are out of the box already. Yeah, well, I grew up, grew up skateboarding in my local area and uh, it was the best way to get to uni. Uh, jumping on the old bus into town and then skate all the way into um, into uni, studying accounting in there. And actually, uh, I remember going through the boom gate at uh, QUT. And one year it was shorter. I didn't have to duck under it. I went straight through it. And uh, many, many moons later at my wedding reception, my godfather actually worked at QUT, the groundsman, and he actually cut the boom gate down for me so I could get into study accounting better. So, mate, it's all, it's all linked, mate. It's all linked. Skateboarding, accounting, they're two... To uh, two connected peas in a pod for sure. I reckon that accounting, although you didn't practice it for too long, probably helped you greatly. Hey, when when it comes to the you know the, the, the genesis of 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 Red Frogs. So let's talk about Red Frogs, right? That's your organisation. Um, take us back to the beginning. What is Red Frogs? What are you hoping to achieve? Uh, you know, what have you achieved? Give us a bit of a lay in the land of of how it started. I mean, I know the story. It's a wonderful story, but. For the sake of the listeners, you know, give us that give us that genesis of the organisation. Yeah, absolutely, and I think I'll, I'll go back to that uh, first statement on accounting. It was such a good foundation for starting a not for profit, um, as like Red Frogs. And actually, when I was studying accounting at uni, I was getting involved with youth work through my local church, and I started these skateboarding clubs in my area. 
working with young kids that uh, love throwing bricks through windows and setting fire to things. And and I really had a heart to, to start a bit of a youth club in my local area through skateboarding, which was my passion. And as those skateboarding clubs grew in size, I sort of wanted to quit accounting and just leave that aside and just chase youth work. But I really felt, no, no, finish what you start and, like, you know, you, and play the cards you dealt. A lot of times you get cards and, and they're not always – you know, the most exciting things to do. But I really felt, no, no, get this accounting degree behind you. And I did that. And then I worked as an accountant, which actually helped me fund. Uh, we grew one youth club, skateboarding youth club, to five. And it helped me actually fund that so it wouldn't cost my church anything. So I really didn't want to be a burden on my church or have them, you know, fund anything. So I was able to do that through my career as well. So working as an accountant really undergirded uh, what I could do in, in youth work through my skateboarding clubs. But, of course, uh, a lot of my young, young skaters got to year 12, went to that lovely, wholesome youth festival on the Gold Coast. We loved to call schoolies week. And um, I was worried about it. It was pretty feral back in the day, like a lot of dramas and one-punch incidents and drug-related incidents and sexual assaults. And it was really hectic back in the day. And I put five years into these young kids' team come out of the drugs out of the alcohol and make some big changes. But I just knew in a week that could be gone. One week on the Gold Coast could be blown out of the water. So as a youth worker, you know, I went, no, nah, I need to look after my boys. And I headed down the Goldie and they actually invited me to come down and look after them. And I went down the Gold Coast and it was just blown away. I just couldn't believe it, like 30,000 on the Gold Coast and chairs coming off tables and, you know, frying pans coming off verandas and, you know, just just – just ridiculous stuff everywhere. And I just felt really sorry for hotel managers trying to keep a lid on 30,000. I don't know if you've had like five teenagers sleep over your house for one night. Picture what that looks like. Imagine like 400 in your building. And um, so anyway, I just basically went to the hotel manager. Look, I'm a youth worker. My skaters are staying in your building. They're running amok. Do you want me to look after them? And before those words left my mouth, they literally dragged me into their office and offered me free rooms and, yes, please, can you come help us? And we just basically went back to my church in Brizzy and we screen printed up these shirts called Hotel Chaplaincy. And went, there were 17 of us just went down. We just started crashing parties, just going like floor to floor, finding kids passed down the stairwells and dragging them back to the units and finding them passed down the beaches so we'd walk them home so they wouldn't get assaulted by the toolies and droolies and we just started looking after them in these parties and, and buildings loved it. They, they saw property damage decrease, incidents decrease, and year after year they just kept hounding me saying, Andy, can you bring your teams back? Can you bring your teams back? And so we went from 17 workers in our first year to now over 1,200 workers in 17 locations looking after 70,000 schoolies all around Australia. So it's just been one of those very viral, organic sort of uh, – Things you know, I never planned to give lollies to children for a living, mate. I thought people like that got arrested, uh, but it just it just evolved and it evolved where I worked full time as an accountant for seven years, and then the youth work grew to a stage where it, it sort of demanded I made a choice. Demanded I was doing my CPA, started that, and I thought, okay, am I going to keep going this way? And I went, no, nah, it looks like this is my direction. So then I moved into that. So I think uh, little by little is a lot safer and let things grow naturally so then it can sustain you when you move into them so what year was that first year that you went down as hotel chaplaincy mate 1997 mate so this is uh 25 years of the frog right uh, just 
past and uh, yeah, 1997. And, uh, well, I attended schoolies as an unsaved person in 1996. Where were you, man? I missed you oh, by mate, one year. Uh, <laughs> we missed you by a year, you loose unit. There you mm. go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey. I hope you're enjoying this week's episode. Listen, I'm just here training a group here in this room, but I need you to subscribe to my channel. Guys, do you think they should subscribe to the channel? Guys, please, subscribe. Um, now, that's really cool. So, so Hotel Chaplaincy became Red Frogs, um, and Red Frogs essentially gets its name from those packets of lollies that we have in Australia where they're literally a frog that's red, right? And, um, but it, I think, you know, I know a little bit of the story. I know, um, you know, this is more than just getting around a bunch of drunk people. This is, this is safety. Um, you know, I remember because there was pancakes there for a hot minute where you were trying to put decent food in people's guts because they were full of alcohol, you know, and, 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 and just a holistic care, not only the spiritual side, but, you know, just but just to look after them. And so um, so twelve hundred workers. Is that what you said now? That's what you typically have. And how how broad, how broad is this Australia only or have you gone broader? Yeah, look, it's gone into nine countries now. Our biggest program is actually university. So mm. schoolies is just pre-orientation week for us. So we then uh, look after uni parties, like all their pub crawls and club crawls. And, and very much, if I could describe frogs, it's like a fence at the top of the cliff instead of the ambos at the bottom. And we're there just in time, not after time. And so uh, we do walk-home teams and, as you mentioned, random acts of pancakes with the preload sessions. As the pre-drinking where they do most of the damage, we do about a... 100,000 pancakes over the schoolies week. They actually go through 24 tonnes of Alan's Red Frogs now, uh, which were like an accidental icebreaker. We just randomly rocked up to a room with a big bag of frogs. We were having trouble getting into rooms. But as soon as I opened the door and they saw we had Red Frogs, they went, Red Frogs, and just dragged us into this party. And we started with 80 kilos in our first year. Then the next year was 220 kilos and 440, 880, 1.2 tonne. Now 24 tonnes a year. And now also for schoolies, we look after schoolies in Bali, three islands in Fiji, seven locations in South Africa, even in Zimbabwe where they do schoolies on Lake Kariba. But again, unis is a lot bigger where we look, we only look after 70,000 in schoolies but over 400,000 in universities all around Australia. But then we all do university work in New Zealand, South Africa, Wales, Scotland, England, Canada, US, uh, we've got frat houses in the US now. So, again, uh, yeah, it's just been a wild journey of, of expansion and, um, yeah, something I never planned to do, uh, but I, I call it like a spiritual wedgie, mate. I got reefed. Uh, my plan was this and I got totally sidetracked into another uh, thing, which is amazing, and I'm so thankful for it. And, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of ch churches support it. We have over 390 different churches involved of all different denominations, and they supply so many volunteers every year and, Absolute legends, these volunteers that come in and, and really make a difference and, and also show their uh, faith through action, mate, like uh, really practical, not, not judging people, not, not having to guard people, but they're, you know, cleaning up vomit, walking people home, you know. Like I, I class, you know, one of my heroes in, in Australia are the Salvos and uh, the Salvos are amazing and I call them the real deal, the Salvos, real Aussies. And, uh, you know, we would take a leaf out of their book in a small way, you know, to, as the real DNA of frogs right there. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is, right, 1,200 workers and volunteers and staff. I mean, 
that's, that's a lot to handle. So I'm gonna, I wanna come back to that. But whilst we're on those stories of you opening doors and getting called in and drunk and vomit, um, g- give us a couple of stories. You, you, you know, you're a man of faith. You, you would have seen the miraculous all day, every day. G- give us a couple of those stories to inspire us of what can happen when somebody says, I'll go. Yeah, look, and we really thank, you know, all those, you know, the, we call them the, the, the golden oldies out there that can't come down and their deal's not crashing parties and filling up vomit bags and stuff like that. But they collect pancake shakers every year for us. We go through 10,000 of those and they, they pray for our teams, which is amazing. The amount of, I call them divine appointments, where literally the team is in the right building, at the right room, at the right floor at the right time, or a girl's half climbing out a window and they just go grab. Uh, or, you know, just we walked into one unit making pancakes in this unit and all this water start, starts coming out on the tile floor. We're going, what's going on here? And old mate was so drunk, he'd passed out in the shower, flooding the recess, and our teams got in and got him out of there so he wouldn't drown himself. And there was another girl too. We rocked into this another resort in another schoolies location and, and she was so drunk, she was sitting in a spa bath by herself slowly slipping underwater and our teams walked in just at the right time and grabbed her. And you just see those stories every year, time after time, just incredible divine appointments to where teams in the right place, right time. And, and uh, you know, I've got to take my hats off to these volunteers. You know, if you if you put yourself in position for a win, you're going to get some wins. And, and you know, that, and that's it. It's about being available, being, you know, out there to make a difference. You know, we, we have goals to make a difference, but we do nothing about it. And that's why I'm so proud of these volunteers that actually pay to come to schoolies. They pay a rego fee to cover some of their accommodation and food to come down and, and you know, give up their time for a generation, which is just amazing. Yeah, and, I mean, you're getting them at such a vulnerable age. You know, they've, they've, they've been under a whole lot of structure, right, through school, home and school, and then off they go into this big wide world. And, you know, school is, is debauchery. Like, you know, it's, it's probably the first round of massive mistakes <laughs> that these people are about to go and make. And there's a support network there too, which I think is beautiful but incredibly practical, um, the way you've been able to do that. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And I think that just on that too is uh, schoolies has changed a lot though. It's um it's not as loose as it used to be. Like back in your day, absolutely there was that was feral. Like your era was absolutely why we exist. Uh, but now there's so many more non-drinkers. Probably 50 percent are big drinkers now, and and uh, they're almost and you can see that too because back in the day all the cafes used to be empty, used to be ghost towns. But now you go in and it's full of schoolies. Come nine ten o'clock in the morning doing their smashed avo and their lattes and and then also there's so many more non-drinkers you rock into a schoolies room and they go oh let's play you know and so our guys are just you know masters now so yeah although there is a big percentage that do drink there are so many non-drinkers now and it, it is a lot healthier than what it was but the access to hard drugs is higher now than it used to be you know like you know if you take hard drugs they were pretty hard to come by when i was young. it was literally drinking but now I mean, you know, you, you can get hard drugs at school. So, yeah, you've, you've got that other element as well. So, I mean, you, you, you've got these 1,200. I want to switch heads to the businessman, that Andy the businessman, right? Because, because this is, I mean, you couldn't have built this without the businessman hat. And I'm sure that's you and some of your team. But one of my first thoughts, because the thing that you do better than I do is you work with volunteers. I have paid team it's easier with paid team, right? You know, it's like we have KPIs, you meet them, you don't get paid, you get paid, right? 
you're dealing with people that are there for the love and possibly bring their own agenda. So I guess I wouldn't mind just go, what, what are some wisdom for business people that you've learned about, like, okay, systemize. How do you systemize an operation that's nine locations, runs for a whole year, it's really, really messy, and it's 1,200 volunteers? Have you got some thoughts around how do you systemize that type of organization? Yeah, very good question too. And look, that didn't happen overnight. This is our 25th year. I think that we've let it grow very organically. Like our first teams, we had 17 workers, then went to 45, then 90, then 130, 180, 220, um, 340, 400, and then it scaled up. And even on our first budget, like my first budget around the schoolies was $450. Then the next year is $1,500. You have that four and a half grand. But then it jumped to 40 grand because we needed to run a stage on the beach uh, to just get them out of the hotel rooms. And we just dance them on sand for five hours and it cuts down their drinking. So that was a big jump, you know, to go from four and a half grand to 40 grand. But I really saw the need that, that I can I can achieve anything I want in life if I include others. So I can achieve anything I want. And I had to get other people involved, including some business guys that I went into their office and said, hey, listen, we've got 30,000 kids on the Gold Coast. They're drinking in their rooms all night. Why well, I want to put a stage on the beach and stop them drinking as much. And they went, that's a great idea. Here's a check for 10 grand, Andy. I was amazing that, that it's all about partnership. It's all about team and creating people with common purpose, common values to, to buy into that, that the vision of what you're doing as well. And, and having those business early businessmen that really got behind red frogs was so vital and we couldn't have become what we have become in the largest harm prevention network in australia for schoolies the largest in universities by the largest in festivals without the business community because you'd have the nicest looking car but if you've got no fuel in your tank it's going nowhere and there's great businessmen and also too that there's some of these young business uh people that got behind us, we weren't in the media then. We, weren't, we, we didn't have the profile we had. They just saw the need and they were willing not to get the credit, but just really invest in something. And they're, they're some of our legacy people of, of why Red Frogs, uh, you know, impacts 1.5 million Aussies a year now. And through all our programs, it's because of some of these uh, business people that got behind Red Frogs at an early stage. But in that though, uh, to the scalability was very much let things grow organically, let them grow size by size so um we, we you um it takes about about 2.1 to 2.4 to run frogs now but in that we've gone you know but my first budget was 150 dollars. but it's scaled very organically over that time and again it's about adding people with the skill sets around you i'm a big one for staff your weakness i know where i suck and i know where i'm good and so where i suck i get people that are good at that we've had some great it people come in and develop database systems uh volunteer management systems uh, our Red Frog hotline systems. We get over 8,000 calls on a Red Frog hotline every year. And to see how they allocate that and all the reporting that comes out of it, it's just amazing. I've got no idea how that works, but there are people that do. So I think it's about diversity of team, getting everyone in their lane and don't go too fast. Just go bit by bit. Do, do the gradual things. I'm all about small, consistent. So is there technology you use now to try and uniform the delivery? Like how, you would have an ideal way that you want a walk home to be done, right? And then you've got 7,000 people doing walk homes. What, what, what are you using to try and build that consistency across, you know, such a broad, what tools are you currently using to achieve that? 
Yeah, it's been amazing to see the development of that. Back back in the day, it was me with a Nokia fifty two ten Red Frog Hotline on divert to another Nokia fifty two ten, and uh, but now we've got a call centre with uh, an information system too. And as a, a call comes in, it's categorised to a different class. And if it's a serious call, it then then goes into um, a whole heap of different categories. To automatic text messages go to the zone leader, to the team trainer, to the uh, to, to goes to the actual team leader. Uh, we have got an app now for walk homes. You can actually uh, log on and get a walk home with the Red Frog app and it will tell you where you're at and then the team will come and contact you and walk you home from your place to your hotel. So it's been pretty amazing to see the systems now all through app development, through the database development, and, and year after year we just develop these apps around Red Frogs. Yeah, that's awesome. That that's uh, I like the approach of just getting better and better and better, right? So you just you know, I'm sure every time you get faced with a problem, you just go, okay, what are we going to do to make sure that doesn't happen again, um, and get better as you go. What what about the what about the people? Like, um, I actually sat through the Red Frogs training of of you know in the lead up to schoolies, um, but it wasn't you that did the training. So how have you been able to replicate that? What have you done in terms of getting core people around you that really catch it and then, you know, letting them filter out to the next round? And like, how do you approach, you know, because I, I can't remember who it was that did the training that I did, but, you know, they, they might have been, they might have been 50 people removed from you. I, I'm not sure. So how do you approach that, being able to roll out that consistency and that training, um, you know, globally now? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, that's right. I mean, for me, it's getting out of the road as soon as I can. It's uh, making room for others and uh, people that are passionate about those areas. So we've had people come in that, that love training, that specialise in it. We said, great, can you get a hold of our systems and design how to do that? And we've just allowed room for people to do what they love to do. I think when people, someone's doing what they love, they'll just outrun you with uh, the systems and the development and, and what they want to do. So for me, it's not to bottleneck it, not to try to micromanage, but get out of the road as soon as I can and really just get – and also, I guess, my leadership style is to learn the art of being second, that you can achieve a lot if you you become second and, and promote others above you and, and just really, you know, helping those to, hey, get into that database, go for that training. That's an awesome idea and really – like, for example, we do barley now. We had a great group of um, uh, crew that had a heart for barley. I didn't have a heart for barley, but they said, no, we there's 5,000 Aussies going over there. We need to be there. And they said, right, okay, let's research. And then we, we do the back-end support. And I think being a servant leader and, and leading from bottom up, I think, is a powerful way to lead rather than top down. So I think if it's all about you, it'll stay with you. But if it's all about others, it ca others catch it. And I think leading bottom up, not top down, and learning the art of being seconds has been two of my keys for that. I love it. So if you're prepared to get out of the way, then I'm assuming, and you can speak into this, there must be a lot of mistakes because you're 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 basically removing yourself and letting people kind of find their feet. How do you how do you view mistakes when you're prepared to get out of the way and you let somebody, you know, have some, you know, delegated authority and, and, and then they mess up? What what are you doing there? How do you view that? Yeah, look, uh, failure is how you learn. Making mistakes is learning. So you you, you got to fail to learn out what you, what you suck at and then find what you're good at. And it is difficult because when it's your baby, you, you know you can do things a lot easier. 
but you got to let them have a go. It's like a kid walking for the first time. You know you can help them all you like, but they're going to have to fall over to learn a bit. So as a dad or a mum, you've got to you got to take your hands off and go, okay, you're going to lose a bit of skin. Things are going to get messy, but, hey, it's how they learn. They've got to do it. And, and being in it for the long haul, that's calculated risks. There's some areas that we have non-negotiables and there's – Clear. There's like I call them like bumper rails on a ten pin bowling lane. So you got to have your bumper rails so the program doesn't gutter out. So there's some non-negotiables in there. But in that, you got to let them have a go. You got to let them have some bad deliveries every now and then, and just learn and learn how to walk before they can run. So yeah, look, that is tough, and so and you got to bite. You know, sometimes like you got to bite your lip. But yep. I think as as a when you pioneer something, that's probably the hardest areas is just that let go and trusting especially an accountant who's very detail orientated. So you, you like, I guess, you know, cause what I see a lot of people is they want to step aside, but then they want to micromanage. They, they want to give them authority, but they don't end up giving them any authority. And so, you know, there's no mistakes, but there's no growth and everyone's frustrated and then people quit. Right. So, you know, you can't have got to that big that you are without stepping aside, biting your lip, crisis managing anything that's massive. But probably you, the key you said was taking a long-term view. That allows you to not major on the minors. So when there's a mistake, you're like, all right, well, we can, we can roll with that one because it's not really going to matter in three years' time. You know? and, and a lot of business people, they really struggle because it's their baby, right? There's money at stake. And so they're like, I want to step aside, but I'm, but I'm not prepared to relinquish control. And, and that's a mistake. Yeah, look, and, and that's right. I mean, it's, uh, it's paying the price now rather than later yeah and you, you know one of the worst things you do is burn out because it's everything just rests with you and and you're trying to do everything and um people are messy you know they're going to make mistakes so it's just understanding understanding the human nature is really important that people make mistakes and people fail you is what they do so i think for me the i call it like a high jump bar and the higher you put that expectation on the people around you the more failures they're going to have because they can't get over your height to drop that bar as low as you can so they can have more wins with you. And also, too, I always pull myself up. I think, well, how long did it take me to get to this level? And it took quite a few years. But I'm having a 25-year expectation on someone that's only been there two months. So is that realistic? So I think sometimes that expectation needs to drop right down. I remember, hang on, how did you start? How did we start? You know, and are we expecting too much or are we allowing to make them safe mistakes and it's not going to make mistakes but just in a safe environment with it we, and you've got to have again there's 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 limits but again you've got to teach people how to grow and again i'm not perfect in that and you know again you, you know there will be times where you just can't control yourself but in general it's what i, I aim to do is to is to try to get out of the road as much as possible and only come in if i really need to and have you hired anybody that was a big mistake? Oh, look, I'd say, I wouldn't say a big mistake because it's all part of learning, but definitely people that it's not their fit or, it, you know, they're, they're really a different leadership style, different personality. And, you know, it's all about learning. People are complicated, uh, you know, entities. And also they go through things too and they change. And, and so definitely, you know, there's definitely a lot in the people management side and, and also people who just don't find their fit straight away, and that's okay. So, again, it's all a learning process for them. It's a learning process for us as well. But, yeah, getting that culture is so important. Having a team that's, uh, you know, synced in unity and culture 
is so important there. And I think uh, it only takes one to really mess that up. So I think it's really creating, you know, getting that right team is important, but it is a trial and error. You're not going to get that right. So that, that's uh, always, is there. you always got your challenges there, but that keeps us on our toes. You know, that's, you know, that's how we learn. It's also an opportunity to be gracious. It's an opportunity to be long-suffering. It's an opportunity to uh, portray a few, few uh, you know, gifts, you know, real real love is what I call it. That's awesome. And I reckon you, because that pastoral gift, you've got that real father heart. So you would probably handle it incredibly graceful too, which would be a real blessing. Um, you know, one of the elements of your organization that I don't have is the amount of stakeholders that you need to work with. You know, so for me, um, you know, I'm the director, me and my wife, right? So I don't have a board uh, on purpose um, and, uh, and, and, and I, don't, I haven't got any partners. So it's like, for me to make a decision, it's like, hear a word from the Lord, go, right? Or, you know, something smart, good opportunity, go. Um, and I can chat about it over a cup of tea and make a decision in five minutes with my wife, right? Like that simple. You, 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 ha- you, have to, you have to pull together, you know, church leaders, cross-denominational church leaders, because you've done a wonderful job of, um, of appealing across the faith. You know, you've got, you've got city leaders, you've got volunteers, you've got mayors, um, probably state, um, you know, political, maybe even feds. Um, what are some leadership lessons you've had from dealing with so many stakeholders to get the vision to come alive? Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, learning, I guess probably just the big one is learning who we are and learning where our lane is and then learning what other people's lanes are and not trying to be someone you're not or compare yourself to others but but appreciate others too. And so, for example, schoolies. We can't do schoolies by ourselves. If we tried that as Red Frogs, we'd get absolutely owned. We need, we need the ambos. We need police. We need drug arm rosies, we need Beyond Blues mental health training, we need Optus and the Red Frog Hotline, Allens and the 24 Tons of Frogs, volunteering organisations, uh, uh, you know, and together we can have a red hot crack. By ourselves we'd be absolutely owned down there and couldn't do it. So I think it's really looking at everyone's got a role to play, but what is your lane? What is, where do you fit? And, and then appreciating others and also too, a very uh, intentional, you know, Red Frogs is quite popular now. But again, I'm always intentional going, hey, listen, you know, look, these other organisations are doing a great job too. It's not just about us. It's about as a team we're doing this as well and really appreciating others. So I think giving appreciation to your stakeholders is important. Relationship is the key. You need to have a good relationship with the people you're working with. And that's why I love some of these responses around Australia. We work with the same policing and government organisations over 15 years. And it's just, it's almost a family that comes together every year uh, to put this response on. So doing relationships well, language as well, try not to speak bad of others, even if they've done something really dumb, try to work that out internally. Don't, don't, I'm very intentional also in the social media not to bag other organisations or other things. But, but, you know, if someone's got a grievance, work it out one-on-one. Don't go, don't use social media, don't. You know, do snide comments to the the other stakeholders. They just undermine things. So I think language is important, relationships important, and appreciating others is really important. And knowing your lane. Is that what you spend most of your days on now? Is that stakeholder relationship? Yeah, that's a real big one. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, you're building those high end relationships um, and those connections to other agencies. Um, yeah, definitely stakeholder engagement is yeah a big part of my job. Uh, give us a bit of vision 
Red Frogs in five years, ten years, twenty years after Andy's when when Andy's been migrated to heaven? Like, what have you got some vision to hang out there for us? Yeah, well, there's uh, 4,318 high schools in Australia. So we want to see a Red Frog team uh, adopt uh, a school, every school. So there's teams that are in education, high school after parties. Uh, there's 1,764 skate parks in Australia. So we've got a program called Skate Park Shepherds uh, where we want, uh, and particularly in local churches, to adopt a skate park, to go and do some pancake cook-ups or water station or go skate with the kids. Uh, just to adopt those skate parks to change the culture, you know, where it's not a place where they can sell drugs and get into crime, but it becomes a safe place to skate. Uh, again, uh, we, we're doing a lot in other universities around the world, uh, residential colleges, having teams in there as well, uh, music festivals, doing heaps of music festivals as well. Uh, again, teams in those mosh pits and roving teams as well. And uh, even things in defence, want to really support defence personnel in Australia. Uh, you know, uh, as for young defence personnel to make sure they don't get caught up in the, the drinking scene too much, but um, navigate that safely as well. Uh, then also probably our education piece, where we do a lot of education to 11s and 12s, but we want to do a lot more to year nines where they're starting to develop their party culture. And like I said before, drugs is a big issue, mental health, and look at some uh, building resilience in, in the young generation as well. So, uh, yeah, a lot in education, a lot in sport, um, yeah, and then also globally, we just started in France 12 months ago, uh, doing music festivals over there. So we're looking at, yeah, developments through Europe. If I quickly just do the maths of what you told me you're already doing and the vision you just said, you're about 10% of the way there. Uh, oh, mate, not even that. Like uh, maybe 5% of the way yeah. there. So, uh, yeah, there's, uh, it's pretty unlimited growth once you start layering something. So, um, yeah, it's different to be. I-, I wanted you to say that because a lot of people get comfortable, hey. Like you, 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 you are, you are already a big fish in a small pond in a sense, you know, like, it, it, like people know Andy, people know Red Frogs, people know the impact. And yet you're like, nah, I'm not done. I'm not done. We're going, we're going for everything. And uh, that, that vision is compelling. So I, I'm on the other side, right? I'm running private business. Um, speaking on behalf of the, you know, the thousands of people that kind of check in with us in the podcast, what can we be doing for you? Yeah, I think the business uh, sector has a massive role to play, uh, particularly, like I said, you have the nicest looking car, but if you don't put fuel in, it goes nowhere. And I think, uh, and the power of little is great. Everyone doing a little bit adds up to a lot. And we've got a, a program called Friends of the Frog, uh, where ex-froggers donate like five bucks a week or 10 bucks a week to uh, a month, sorry, to five bucks a month or ten bucks a month to support the worker at Frogs. But we also have business friends of the Frogs. We have businesses that donate a certain amount of month to Frogs, and many businesses doing little adds up to a lot to really expand the work into high schools, into universities, into festivals, and the skate parks. So I think that business thing also too is I want to really get Red Frog Enterprises going. I want some business ideas to create a business model that, that funds the not-for-profit side. So it becomes self-sustaining, so we're not relying on donations, but some self-feeding business entity that can feed that as well. So we're looking at, uh, you know, just got a good group of some business guys coming up with some concepts there. And then, uh, yeah, again, and the Friends of the Frog program is a huge thing, but also then value and kind sponsorship. We have so many uh, people that own units in... in um, Lawn or Torquay or Phillip Island, Byron Bay, Ellie Beach, Gold Coast. 
and donate that as rooms for our workers uh, for the weeks as well. And then a lot of companies, we had the uh, mango industry donate 228 crates of mangoes one year for our pancake hookup. So it's amazing what's in people's hands and how it can make a difference. And uh, just, you know, through through product, through value and client sponsorship, and then through finance as well. So, uh, and you also have a dinner, right, in Brizzy? I think you have a dinner every year. That's a, that, that's a big affair. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. We've got a big gala dinner mm. in Brisbane. We do one uh, in Perth as well, Sydney, uh, also uh, Townsville. Uh, yeah, around Australia, you can have a look at our redfrogs.com and yeah, come to our gala dinner nights, which is a great way to support froggies. Yeah. Redfrogs.com, guys. You've got to go there and check it out. And, you know, uh, let's let's shoulder the burden a little bit and uh, and do a little bit or do a lot, whatever, and get involved. Um, Andy, I'll, I'll tell you my story. You, you probably don't know this, but I actually volunteered one year. I can't remember when it was. I'm going to go with... Um, uh, I'm going to go with 2006. It was the year that Mutto had just gone through his, um, that, you know, the, the whatever, that game show he was on. And so he was like the rock star of schoolies and stuff. But I was up in the call center and, um, you know, taking those incoming calls. And I think I did maybe three or four nights over the, over the, the couple of weeks of schoolies. Nokia, little red Nokia that you spoke about. And, um, man, it was so confronting, hey. You know, a lot of the calls were just, you know, I just need help or whatever. But I still remember this one call. You know, it was one of the calls. I answer it. And there's no one really talking to me on the other end. Um, and then I can hear this young girl crying and I'm like, Hey, what's up? You know, like what, is everything okay? And she's like, I've just come to, I've been thrown in a stairwell and I think I've just been raped. And I'm like, all right, this is, this is the, this is what you told us about in training. And, um, you know, and, and just kind of got to speak with her for the next little while whilst organizing a team, where are you? Give us a recall, blah, 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 sending a team in there to go and grab this girl. And, I don't know what happens next. That's that's part of the team that, that do that. But I remember thinking, man, if she didn't have that phone number, if you hadn't gone to her high school at some point in that year and she didn't have that phone, I don't know, I don't know what happens next. I don't know what happens next in her story. And I remember thinking that night far out, this is one of the most practical examples of how we can, you know, help our fellow man and serve. And I'm sure you've heard that story, you know, 10,000 times. But for me, it was like, far out, that's a, that's a big deal. Yeah, look, uh, and, and uh, you know, the systems, the teams that have brought up to support people from serious incidents is amazing now and through all the different government support to other agencies. But even early intervention, our walk home teams, we do over 5,000 walk homes over schoolies. In the last 10 years, we've seen a 75% reduction in sexual assaults. And a lot of that we put down to the walk home teams that are finding young people in vulnerable positions in beaches and buildings and walking home safely with those big red frog teams. So that's been amazing to see that those numbers decrease from when you did it that to, to decrease by 75% now is amazing. But again, still, you know, uh, still too many. And, uh, you know, I want to get out there, you know, more and more just, you know, always never walk home by yourself, you know, also your mate's drunk, don't leave them alone. There's so many little practical safety things you can do to help your mates. But, um, yeah, look, it's, a, it's an honour to be there to help people uh, in their time of need and, uh, you know, it's needed. All right, so there's a bunch of people listening. They're Right now they're listening to this and, you know, 
they're on a treadmill, they're driving to work, they're you know mowing the lawn or whatever. Um, just free reign from you, right? These people are business people. They might be doing, they might have just started a business. They might be doing a hundred million in revenue. Just as somebody who's been running your organization for a long time, just can you spit us a little bit of wisdom? What would you say to those people who are building a business, maybe early stage, wrestling with a whole bunch of questions? What would you say to those guys? Yeah, look, uh, you know, keep, be, be consistent in little things. You know, stuff doesn't grow overnight. It's consistency in little. And it's good to make mistakes early when you're small, you know, to, to work out your systems too. Don't try to grow too big too quick. Uh, that's where you can topple over with things. So letting things grow organically so you can work out what you're doing and get your systems right is really important as well. Also, I love the old proverb, don't grow weary doing good. In due season, it will be your time. So, you know, keep keep consistency. Keep Do the little things well. And in due season, it'll click. And sometimes we bail, I think, two to three months too early where if you just push through that extra couple of months, you'll see that breakthrough you're looking for as well. So I think, um, you know, that perseverance is important. Focus on the little things. Little things over a long period of time become big things and focusing on little things is so important. So I think doing little things well become big things. Well, there's some wisdom right there, folks. Uh, Andy, you're a blessing, uh, you know, to us on this call, but also, you know, the the, the 12,000 workers and the, you know, the all of those people that you get to serve every single year. Mate, thanks heaps for your time. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, for those of you listening, go check out redfrogs.com. Let's find a way, you know, let's, let's get amongst these guys in prayer, but let's be practical. Let's find a way to get behind Andy, the team, the vision, and, uh, and go and be those practical hands and feet. Bless you, mate. It's been great having your podcast. For the rest of you guys, as we always do, what's the number one thing that jumped out to you on this week's episode? I want you to put your answer in the chat for me below and I will engage with you there. I want to know what's the one thing that Andy said that really sparked for you uh, and I want to see that feedback loop. All right, bless you guys and we'll see you on next week's episode.